Welcome to the Under the Great Lakes podcast. My name is Gabe, alongside my other hosts, Jacob and Ben. In our inaugural review, we'll be discussing Spike Lee's new film, The Five Bloods, starring Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. It is directed and written by Spike Lee with other writing nods to Dan Bilson, Paul DeMio, and Kevin Wilmot. Uh, now that this is our first episode, we'd like to introduce ourselves. So before we jump into our impressions, what we thought of the film, because it's a very packed film, I'd like to introduce introduce ourselves, my bad. So first, I'll hand it off to Jacob. What's up? Uh, we're, we're all a bunch of Canadian boys. Just wanted to introduce ourselves. I think we wanted to talk about why we first started doing this podcast and why we got into movies and stuff like that. So uh, for, for me, at least, I don't know, I always kind of grew up on like like action movies, like 80s action movies and stuff like that, 80s rom-coms and stuff like that, stuff my mom got me into. And then, I don't know, once I started getting into, like, thrillers, it's kind of when I started getting really passionately into stuff. Like, David David Fincher is probably the first director I really got heavily into. Kind of informed a lot of my taste for now and for where I'm at now, a lot of the music I listen to. So it's just kind of always been a, a big presence in my life. And, uh, that's, that's that's kind of it for me. What about you guys? Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Ben. Uh, yeah, I've always been a huge film fan. I feel like even when I was, like, five, six years old, go to the movies with my parents and like I'd force them to watch the credits with me back in the days when like post credit scenes weren't really a thing and like even when I was like four or five I'd like tell my mom to read the credits to me and shit yeah so I don't know why I waited 25 years to do something where we discuss film at length but uh I'm glad we're doing it now I'm excited to get into it yeah that's kind of also why I just wanted to get into it it's just kind of I find like whenever I'm done talking about a movie I find I still have a lot more to talk about, and I always feel like it'd be worth having something to both like put down and hit like for our on not in history, but um something that we can see as like a time capsule and look back, see where we thought about a movie at a certain time and point, like at a certain point in time. You know, I feel like whenever the three of us go and see a movie, like the last year or two, we basically do a little podcast in someone's basement or like outside the theater lobby. How many times we stood in the theater lobby and talked for like an hour? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, we got we got a lot to say on movies. Um, probably about the same reason why I want to get into doing this. Basically, like since I was young, my dad used to take me to movies like every weekend, and I remember in like sixth grade we'd have like our French class and we'd talk about what we did the weekend before it would be on the Monday, and I'd always be going to see a movie, and I always thought that was kind of weird and other students of mine and friends I have to this day were like, well, that's just a waste of money, but it was something I enjoyed doing. So I'm happy my dad got me into that habit of just loving the whole film industry and all these great directors. So I'm introducing me to all these great movies that have definitely influenced the type of movies I like now. But yeah, with, with things introduced like Letterboxd and getting more into like getting an IMDb account, seeing other people post their reviews, I guess it's a lot easier to put your impressions of a movie verbally rather than written. Yeah. Especially for me, at least. I, sure I don't know, like, what. Guys, but. Do you guys watch, like, any YouTubers that kind of talk about movies or anything? I've always been a big fan of, like, uh, like people like Red Letter Media. I started getting into, sort of, got, uh, these YouTubers, not YouTubers, but they're all individual YouTubers that do a podcast. Uh, Sardonicast, Donkey, every now and then we'll do a funny, like, music movie Donkey. review. <laughs> it's more of a game I review. I've got, like, just the quick ones like Chris Duckman and Jeremy Johns, the yeah. YouTubers, kind of <laughs> always put out their reviews. 
Chris Tuckman's good too. Uh, he's actually on that that podcast, Tyrannicast. But uh, okay, I've never heard it. But yeah, all all those kind of things though, were like just watching that is also kind of what got me into like being more talking more about movies beyond like oh it's just good like it's bad when i was younger all that kind of stuff really was influential on me and really informed me figured why not start doing something where i i talk about this stuff and right now at least in this day and age you could say like it's a weird time because no theaters are open and there's definitely been a lot of pushback so with at least our first review of the five bloods it's good to get a movie of like this caliber you could say to be released to people on streaming platforms who can watch it from their home but before we get into that um there are some things that have been happening around in the film world and we got a bit of that that we want to cover so we should jump right into that jacob you want to go ahead and... yeah it's been pretty slow but i figured we should uh each week just you know give a little couple minutes dedicate to you know what's been going on some weeks will be longer than others some weeks will be kind of quick but honestly once ben kind of wrote down everything he has a lot more written down the biggest thing i'd say right now is the stuff with the oscars where uh they're gonna be was it delaying the or like pushing pushing push back, back to april yeah we push back mm -hmm. to april and they'll be extending the acceptance for for the movies yeah. right and the eligibility period usually ends December 31st of the whatever year. Now it's pushed all the way through to February. So it's two extra months. Because we've only been, what, when did coronavirus start? Like, well, worldwide for March. So it's been over for a little over two months now. March, so when... like, like three, three weeks after so the, if, like, last, the most So if Dune gets Oscars, pushed back, like what's, three weeks what's the new that? release date? I've heard rumors about February 2021, so if that's the case, it'll be eligible for next year's Oscars. Oh! Although I think it's going to nab any best picture films oh, or anything. Buddy, it's going to win everything. It's going to clean, <laughs> clean house. I'll be down. I'm stoked. With with the like extended um, eligibility date, do you guys, would you agree with that, or do you think they should have kept like the original? I would have been down if they just kept it. Because there are a lot of films it would be yeah i was thinking that because there are a lot of films that are like smaller indie films that are great or supposed to come out that i've heard are really really good but then extending the date to get these more blockbuster type films or very like highly anticipated films to be released before that deadline would kind of push those out of the spotlight and then bring like more focus on we all know like Tenet is going to be one of the, or is one of the, the most. Thing is, I'd be down this for year, a year say, where it's just kind of like but, more independent movies, but I'm also worried that if that's the case, they're worried that nobody's going to give a shit. So they have to give out like Oscars to like Jim Carrey <laughs> for Sonic the Hedgehog. No, not actually that, but like that they'll have to give out the big, like the big movies that come out this year. Well, we got I the, think people like. We got the Spirit Awards, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they just push their date. Their date. So they've always been like the day before the Oscars. And just today, I saw this morning they announced that they're gonna push the, um, at least the show. I don't know about their eligibility date, but they're pushing it to the day before the Oscars, which I think is the twenty fifth. Is the Oscars of April? 
and then the Spirit Awards. Okay. My, my only issue really with it is what they're going to do with, like, the 2022 Oscars. Because is it going to be just a 10-month period then for that one? Or are they going to keep this, like, year one going around forever? Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like, nothing that ever comes out in January or February is ever even considered for the Oscars. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed the trend of, like, Everything that's nominated for an Oscar comes out from September to December. Yeah, it was kind of everything at the end of last year was <laughs> everything that I've been waiting for. Like it was kind of silent up until September, and then everything really great started coming out. There's always one very like what I believe is like underrated performance early on in the year that usually gets the Tony Collette's forgotten, of the year. swept under the rug. Um, yeah. I like um, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, Nyong'o is that how you say it? Nyong. I, yeah, yeah. From for us, like that was an amazing performance, in my opinion. It might fall into the like idea of a horror movie, and they're not so accepting of horror movies. But like that was an amazing performance. But it was so early on in the year, and. The same with this year with Elizabeth Moss. At least I thought in The Invisible Man, she did a phenomenal job. But I, I feel know, like that's maybe. just going to be. Yeah, I forgot we didn't even mention too the other rule the Oscars changed um, a few years back. I think in two thousand nine they made it so that ten movies could be eligible for Best Picture nominations. Yeah, um, but, they, but they kind of like just were like in and out with that. Like some years they'd have nine, then they'd go back to five, six. But now they have to have ten, so it's kind of like a top ten situation. Which means I'm down for that. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah, because in- <laughs> instead of that, uh, the popular movie award they were gonna do, which sounded absolutely horrendous, I feel like a lot more, you know, like sci-fi mm-hmm. horror films would be allowed to participate that way. The popular movie award, popular movie award is the like movie award for movies <laughs> to but maybe they'll have to. Uh, <laughs> maybe they'll have to acknowledge Elizabeth Banks right now. If there's nothing else this year, they'll be like, "Well, it's a horror movie, but <laughs> or it's not, no, what's her name? It's not Elizabeth Banks. Moss. Banks. Oh, I'm so bad with like actresses' names. This is gonna happen throughout this whole podcast. So is it gonna be her from her from Charlie's Angels or? God, who's a... oh, that's Elizabeth. Okay, yeah, I'm way off. <laughs> the Hunger Games girl. Yeah. Okay. Hot remember. American Summer. Elizabeth Moss. That's who we're talking about. Yeah, maybe they'll have to acknowledge her, though. They're like, we know it's a horror movie, but fucking nothing else came out, and she was really good. So here you right, go. All right, so, uh, moving on to the Oscars, I guess, uh, they're starting to film again, which is exciting. We might actually get movies coming out late this year, early next year. Jurassic World is expected to be the first, like, big blockbuster to resume filming in the UK. It's like, I'm personally stoked for that movie because I love Jurassic Park. I know the last two haven't been great, but uh, we're getting the band back together, so I'm really excited for Dominion. And isn't it and, fitting? Uh, I don't know, I was going to say an end of the world movie, but maybe that's, uh, maybe that's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Avatar 2 and 3 that have been shooting back-to-back for like years now almost are resuming filming. I think I forget which one they've completed, but they've either completed the live. A- I think they've completed the the live action filming, and now they're doing all the mocap. Um, if I had to ask, like, if 
So say say there was an entire call off of all movie oh. releases this year, but you could get one release. Oh, uh, for rules, what if it's already been postponed to next year? Like originally um, no, supposed I'll, to I'll come out in twenty twenty. If it's been postponed to next year, yeah, yeah. If it was supposed to come out this year, it if it was postponed, it counts. If it hasn't had any news on it yet, it counts. Just one film that was supposed to come out in twenty twenty. Right, I'll start. I I would say uh, my basic answer is just Tenet because I love Nolan and I'm a hardcore Nolan fanboy. But uh, I really would like to say Last Night in Soho. We just don't know enough about that movie yet for me to say that. I'm really yes. sad it's postponed in 2021. I'm super, but yeah, I'll, I'll say Tenet for me. That's actually a really good question. I don't know Mank. like much about how far they are along in Mank, but I'm really hoping Mank by David Fincher comes out. Or even, I don't know, Dune's probably the other big one that like I really want to see come out. But They finished filming Mank, actually, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I just read about Amanda Seyfried was talking about how she finished filming the week before the virus really took over the world. So she said they really lucked out that way. I guess uh, I also just, I really want to see, I'm thinking of ending things, but I don't know what the fuck's happening with that one. I want it to come out, but I don't know. I mean, they said it's coming out quarter one, 2020. (laughs) Official. June 17th, 20. They've literally said nothing about that since. Like it's. Yeah. Into the third quarter, and they just haven't mentioned anything. I'm, I'm really looking said, forward like, to that oops. one, but I'm hoping that that'll come out this year. But I don't know what's going on. So, I think to put my own answer out there, and this is riding solely on the few people who have seen it, but the praise they've been giving it is um, "Promising Young Woman" okay, yeah, yeah. with Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham, Allison Brie. Christopher Mintz class or yeah, that's a good one too. I was thinking about that. Class. I didn't actually. Oh yeah, I honestly don't know, but that's how I've always said it since Kick Ass. So, and then I guess we're doing the final, the final thing about uh, Inception re-release and Tenet purportedly being coming out, released in the the end of July now. I guess they're they're hopeful that theaters will be reopened by the end of July. I don't know if I really see that happening, but. They're going to push it a week at a time. I don't know why studios are so against light. just saying, you know, coming to theaters whenever theaters open up again. <laughs> I don't need a date right now if a date has no meaning. But I do love, like, a part of me loved it. I thought it was kind of cheesy, but it was really funny. When the trailer came out, like, the newest trailer for Tenet, it said, coming to theaters. <laughs> like, it was, yeah, a, that was great. it was a statement. That was Christopher Nolan saying that to us himself. That was him saying, like, I will not be doing VOD. <laughs> How dare you even ask me? I feel like it's just disrespectful to, like, consider that. Even thinking about that is just universal. It's surprising how many directors don't care that much, though, anymore. Like, I mean, I'm sure, like, Martin Scorsese, if he could have had it, would have preferred a big, wide release for The Irishman. But, like... Yeah, I'm really glad we got that to see it... that. Theaters. Yeah, we got to see it, but the fact that it was on Netflix like blew my mind when I first heard that. I was like, really? All right. <laughs> I know, but Netflix got does no money. one else want to fund these Martin Scorsese movies? No, right? <laughs> like <laughs> every time there's a Netflix movie, I do whatever I can to see it in theaters before it comes out. Like we saw, we see Uncut Gems, Jacob. Yeah, yeah, we did. And and Ashman, yeah. Thought yeah. I missed Marriage Story on the big screen though. Yeah, I agree. But I'm really glad we got to see Uncut Gems as well in theaters. That was 
one I was very happy got to see. Like, I can't believe the director of Trolls World Tour just didn't care that it went straight to VOD. Like, he didn't want us to see that on the big screen. I guess he just doesn't have that uh, integrity. <laughs> All right. So I think that's pretty much it for about news. The only other news I have is that Ewan McGregor was cast in Guelmo del Toro's Pinocchio. I think it's stop motion. So that's going to be... What? Guillermo. 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 <laughs> Guillermo. My bad. That was awful. <laughs> I'll have that's to mess up enough. one. So I'll get into the cast of the Defy Bloods later and I'll mess up what someone's name. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Like a dark... Can you imagine if it's like Pan's Labyrinth? Just fucking... Like... R-rated Pinocchio. R-rated Give me that. Pinocchio. I'm so down. It's the only like live-action Disney movie I think that could be interesting departure from the source material well from the disney film i don't i don't know though is it even disney i think that's just kind of like a a story that's just what's the word public domain is it a disney one or is it just a pinocchio movie? well yeah it is like disney's done it but i think it might just be a, a pinocchio movie and that he's just doing what i mean though it's not disney studios it's not like a i haven't heard much about this one so i mean i couldn't i couldn't picture him doing that but <laughs> i, I guess that makes sense. Into it. but yeah that does seem like though it'd be a an interesting live action one. I could see them doing really like really something really cool with that, especially with who's involved. But anyways, that's kind of it for movie news right now. You guys want to get into uh the Five Bloods? The Five Bloods. So we should pretty much start off with uh our first impressions of the Five Bloods. Now, if I recall correctly, Jacob is like the second. Spike Lee right. movie you've seen? I got a little Second history. First, Not even it. history. I got a little backstory here. So when, when did we we all watched it the other day? So when was okay? What, that's Friday. Watched yeah. it on release day. Yeah. And we're recording this now Last on Wednesday, Friday, so yes. a few days later, we've all had some days to think about it. And since then, I watched. Uh, before before I saw this, the only one I had seen was like when I was like ten years old. I went through uh, an Edward Norton like binge and I watched 25th hour which at the time I like I just I really liked it but I probably didn't appreciate it much as I should have and a lot of it probably went right over my head but so I kind of forget a lot of that now but I watched that and then this was my second one and then after that I watched I went back and I watched Black Klansman and uh I like that more but I'll get into that later I liked I liked this though I, I did think it was good I have a little bit, I have a couple problems with it. It's a little messy, but overall, I enjoyed it. I think after watching Black Klansman, I kind of feel like this wasn't as good as that and not as focused. But for for what it is, like, it's definitely its own thing. It's not trying to be Black Klansman or anything like that. To me, I found, <laughs> obviously, I liked it too. It was solid. I feel like it was so overly ambitious, and it was... He, there was so much passion involved with this movie, you could tell. But I feel like sometimes when there's like that much passion, it's hard to focus and and really make it the sharpest film you can. And with like a longer runtime than some of his other films as well, it kind of just felt a little uh, muddled to me. Especially that first hour was a little, I don't know. The first hour I found slow and it it was more focused, but not as interesting. And then once the movie really started picking up, it just kind of went all over the place. Yeah, but I enjoyed my experience. I think there couldn't have been a better time for this movie to come out, especially the way that it came out. Yeah, for sure. The thing I thought mainly was that, yeah. like, 
it's kind of I felt like tonally inconsistent. Like it, it the fact that they even marketed it a little bit as a war movie, and I know you guys were saying like, oh, they didn't really market it as a war movie, but I don't know. Looking at the poster and hearing people be like, Spike Lee's new war movie, it's like don't go into it expecting a war movie because this is like more a crime movie set in Vietnam more than anything, like a crime comedy. I yeah. Um, crime comedy. Okay, not comedy, but uh, like there's. Like... <laughs> okay, I think I'm just thinking more of Black Clansman there. Yeah, some dark. There is some dark comedy Definitely in there. I wouldn't comedy. say it's comedy though, but yeah, it's more like a crime movie than like a war movie for sure. I don't know why they're they were really playing that angle up. Yeah, I uh, on like my first like watch through of that, I thought basically the same things you guys covered. Um, but I went back and I did watch it a second time, and my thoughts on it were definitely oh, like the, pushing the up, viewing. upwards like i thought more of the movie um on the second view and i feel like this movie has lopper on rewatches that i didn't notice before because as ben said it is very ambitious and it's as of um we talked about uh, days before this is the biggest budget really likely has had um, oh, that shit. i can recall I yeah um he got Netflix gave him, well, Netflix and whoever else worked on the film gave him a $70 million budget compared to his last film that he did, which I guess was his biggest movie because it won an Oscar, like important Oscar for adapted screenplay, I think. Don't quote me on he that because I might not be right. <laughs> but um, Black Klansman had a $15 million budget. I think he looked at the budget, budget for Irishman, thought about de-aging, and was like... Fuck, fuck that. <laughs> I'm gonna do it a different way, a cheaper way. Yeah. The first time I saw that, I wasn't really now on that, board. I think I'm yeah. more down with it the more I think about it. Because it's then thinking about, like, the the fact that they aren't de-aged at all. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna ask that. Like, was it meant in there, like, was it put in there Pardon intentionally? Me. Which I thought, as you said, like, it's meant for them yeah. to look back at who they are it's now their memories what they and then they're then. thinking of themselves as they are now but it's like that's not how memories play out but that's just kind of that's that's how it is you think of yourself in your glory days but you're still thinking of how you look kind of you know when you think of your memories you don't think of how you looked then a lot of the time but it's like was that a budgetary constraint that ended up just being part of the story yeah it's like when they did show the photo i was kind of taken back a little bit and i was like wait that's not what we've been seeing the whole time like now you're gonna show them looking young i get it's a photo but like i think it, it's it, an interesting concept but I, I prefer it to them de-aging them as well i'm not a huge fan i think it's like groundbreaking especially in uh irishman and some of the other movies we've seen it in, but I think I would have just preferred because it was so long ago that they just recast younger actors for them. But it's nice too that we you are having rather, like Yeah, I was kind of expecting that. I thought they were gonna just have different actors. And I didn't like Sometimes it's <laughs> nice when there's, noticing. you know, those five characters though that we're not having to think like, oh, who's this one and who's that one? Um especially because like I, I would say two of the of the five bloods aren't really characterized as well. Don't yeah. get the spotlight as much. If you forget their name, the one, time, that has, the one that's pigeon toed. Uh, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie is the one that's pigeon toed. Um, here I'll get the 
I've got written down here. Norm Lewis plays Eddie. I know that. Um, which we'll we'll talk about Eddie's character down the line, but I want to talk about like these flashback scenes quickly. Um, what did you guys think of the how they showed the flashback oh, aspect ratios? I yeah, I thought that was a really cool it. touch because it's almost like they're thinking about it like <laughs> they're thinking of them so fondly and like well at a point it gets to the point where they're not thinking of them so fondly and it starts like looking darker. But like they shoot them like they're like these sixties like you know World War or not World War uh Vietnam movies and it's like they're thinking of them like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the Yeah, there's the aspect ratio thing is definitely the thing that stood out to me the most watching it, which was boy and the grain of the film, because that's how Vietnam like footage is. One whatever was reco- uh, recovered that we can see nowadays, like from the actual war, that's how it looks. And I mean, it's not exactly the way it is. They made it look more like Hollywood, more movie like. But I, I respect that it's shot on sixteen millimeter too. I always prefer when things are shot on film, but I think in this case it was kind of necessary. But there's there's a lot going on with the aspect ratios throughout this entire movie because they change it. I think there's four different aspect ratios. Is it four? I know at one point. Is it like so? So there's there's uh, a couple times where it's in widescreen, and oh, the flashbacks will like <laughs> you can see the screen kind of come in. And whenever I did that, I was like, oh, I hate when they do this effect in movies. And then they kind of dropped it in the second half. And it would go from widescreen to full screen. I know at one point, so I only remember the three, but. Well, that the fourth isn't really the fourth is kind of like a, a side note almost, but there's the present day when they film it in ultra wide, um, and then there's the Vietnam flashbacks in sixteen millimeter, um, like the the box aspect ratio, the one point thirty three one, um, and then there's when when they go into the jungle, it's almost like that IMAX effect, but it's because I think I read Spike Lee was saying they specifically filmed the jungle scenes. Um, with digital cinematography, like the 16-9 aspect ratio, because they knew it was going to Netflix. So they could utilize the full screen of an HDTV. Because he's like, I know some people are going to watch this on their phones or their laptops, but most people are going to watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie on their HDTV. They're gonna, they can utilize the full screen of this HDTV to full effect. And the fourth one is just when they're filming with the Super 8 camera. When they're shooting like the home movies, yeah, right, right, right. the one that Eddie brought around, and that's, on their that's like the letterbox okay. aspect ratio. But it's interesting because it's not a huge part of the film, but yeah. that's when it's just the the whole black border. Yeah, um, and then it goes from that to jungle for the first time, which is when it slowly. I think is that's one of the cases where it slowly um, zooms out and allows effect of the jungle to come into play and that's the only time i like that effect yeah i um i really enjoyed just the way they encapsulated the, the vietnam war in this movie even like the past and the present um because it ties in with kind of the social commentary that got pulled into like the modern day from that so two or three of the characters that get introduced that work for oh i don't want to mess up the acronym so love and 
the the mine the mine landmine people. Lamb was the uh, acronym for it. Uh, it was funny. Minor details because it it was funny. It was loving something. Whatever. Anyways, so I feel like I'll talk about those characters later on because I do have my problems with that. But I feel like it was important the way they shot it, and it just it brought in this message that like war doesn't end in these countries as like say the americans might think so in america they think the war has ended but in places like vietnam it just never ends and you see that when it gives you the actual footage from the war at the beginning of the film and the massacres and even going back to when chadwick boseman's on camera and they're like but like their gunfights and everything it's i feel like it's really important to the way they displayed it just to show that war doesn't end there's always a constant war on yeah like you have you have to live with this stuff and it's like it stays with this. you it stays with the country yeah you, and it, it ties in with everything that's going on in the world and as ben said at the beginning of this review he established that there was no better time for this movie to be released and i don't know how spike lee may have predicted this i mean it's just a um it's just a universal truth that's just been true for a long time it's just yeah. true especially now it's de- definitely um and has always been like what is happening to black americans with the whole police brutality thing and systemic racism has been around for hundreds of years and with this movie coming out trailer dropping a month ago and then with all the protests going on in the States and this movie coming out, I feel like this really amplifies voices of maybe people who aren't really understanding what the issue was. And I said that in one review, I posted on social media briefly that how this movie may, maybe the context of the entire like story with the adventure and finding the gold might be kind of hokey to one point, but the actual social commentary of, putting the gold that they're going to find back to help them uh, is See, really important. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I, I agree sense, 100%. For sense, me, but... the social commentary is a lot stronger than the actual story of the movie. Like, I think that's the biggest problem for me is the actual story. Yeah. But a lot of what it's saying and, like, the acting involved, like, the way it's shot is, very like, really great. There's so much great about it, but there's just a few things mm-hmm. that kind of take it, that bring it down for me as being, like... I still think it's probably my favorite movie of the year. It's not like a high high bar right now, but it's not a movie I'd be like, oh yeah, that was like super great or anything like that. I just think it was good for me. Yeah. I think... I, uh, we're getting right into the ending. I, I am really glad the gold does get put to good use that way too. But I feel like the, the conversation behind like what they should do with the money, it's funny because even at a time like this, I feel like right off the bat, it's very human to want characters to get rich, to be like, no, like, use that money, get rich. But once that conversation starts, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what you have to do. Like, there's no, there's no question about it. Yeah, it makes you feel for the characters. And with the exception of Eddie's character, because they yeah, don't really no. <laughs> flourish his character too much, but with, like, Paul, or Delroy Lindo's character, um, it's like he goes from being selfish to wanting to give the money back to being selfish again and 
that might be due to the fact of the idea of finding the gold and giving it back because they don't have the gold yet. But then he sees it and knows its value and thinks, I've given so much for this country and I went back to America from Vietnam and they just treated me like garbage, essentially. And I think that's a very big um, political point there or social commentary. And that's like what's going on now is uh, black people are taking back basically what was ripped from them which is their rights and their freedom yeah. and their voices and that I feel like was portrayed really well with Delroy Lindo's character even though they did put the gold to good use at the end I feel like it really portrayed well how someone that felt like they gave up their most of their life because he does display in his monologue towards the end of the film um, that he went through three tours you can't kill me it's even through three tours and <laughs> That's a lot, and they don't they don't talk about the Vietnam War and talk about the amount of Black Americans that fought for that war, and I feel like this film does a great justice to give that um, perspective and give that voice to those fallen soldiers or war vets. Yeah, like it's there. like I know I I forget what movie it was. I saw a couple people like mentioning. I guess there's been like a couple like lower more underground or like less mainstream uh black vietnam movies but there's not really like that many at all there's mm-hmm. like less than probably like half yeah. a dozen kind of thing and uh this is definitely the biggest one for sure and it was like i know i know vague you know yeah, i know I vaguely like of really like cool. how yeah. america's treated black soldiers and they've always been sort of like the frontline soldiers but it is super interesting seeing like a movie from that kind of perspective someone who just has fought for his country, never got something anything back, and just came back hating, like just I don't. Know, do you think guys think he like he hated America or anything like that? I think he hated how he was treated. He loved parts about it, but like I feel like the way they portrayed his character, like Paul's character, was as yeah, a confused that's... American about with the climate of the world. Because you gotta remember, he did say and they establish it early and i'm i'm happy that the way they established this point of him being a trump supporter him voting for trump and having the make america great again hat was brushed over was told and that was it i feel like if they kept bringing it up more than they did it would just be like beating a dead horse at that point um and i feel like they really showed that he was what some are now since election times coming up like a confused American who was promised that like vets mm-hmm. would be taken care of. And he clearly shows that he isn't as he portrays his PTSD and his def- definite like mental fight he's going through because of the war and because of other events that happened in his life involving his son too. And yeah, because it is kind of interesting because it's always been a perspective. I've always wondered, like, why would you ever want to be a Trump supporter if you were, like, a black person living in America? Like, doesn't that seem, like, fundamentally against what you would believe in? But it was interesting just seeing the whole thing was that, yeah, he just felt like he was, you know, being kicked down from his country the whole time. And a lot of people come back. And we're back. Ben messed up. Sorry about that. Yeah. Bad. Um, so, his laptop wasn't plugged in because he's an idiot but 
Now we were, um, um, yeah, where were we talking about? We were talking about basically where Delroy's character yeah. was at and just kind of the perspective of that character. And that's a very interesting kind of perspective that you, I mean, I've never seen anything like that in a movie before. I thought it was the second really rewatch of this movie definitely solidified my opinions on his performance. I, I, upon the first watch, I knew it was good. But the second time over and seeing the monologue, which has surfaced on Twitter, which I've retweeted, but um, it's his monologue. Yeah, his monologue? going through the forest oh, yeah. where he ends it with like right on and yeah. holds his fists up. The Netflix no, post. The Netflix post did. that, and it's like high quality. Okay, I just kind of I hate the trend though of like all these monologues from the end of Netflix movies. Like trending on Twitter. It's just the moment like, is so good. People and... are just gonna watch this and have it spoiled. Yeah, people just watch all the like best clips of a movie. Yeah, marriage I, story. I love like... the monologue of him just looking into the camera and I'm not sure you guys felt about it. I loved it and just his performance overall is just very powerful. It started off slow, but I feel like once they after they met that French guy, I can't remember his name, but the one that was supposed to um, convert the gold Dosh. to the gold to money. Once they met him, his I feel like his character really like picked up from there. Yeah, see, I always thought he was kind of like I never really liked him, but I always kind of felt for felt for him. You know what I mean? He's kind of a despicable person. He says a lot of mean shit to his son. Also, but then you know he has yeah. a lot of demons. So you know, I want to add in on it. that. From in the way he's acted out, I did realize I really did not like how they introduced jo- Jonathan Major's character. I really. Oh, isn't the first scene with? It's the first scene with him. Just you see a photo of them, and then he's in the hotel room. I don't even. Yeah, like, that's the first you one, see a right? Photo it's the of hotel him, room, and right? then they go to meet this French guy, and then. Del Rolando's character, Paul, yeah. goes back to his hotel room, and there's a suitcase on the bed. And his son, is it Dave, I think? Um, he yeah, walks and they're like, oh, the you're here now? And I was like, what? He just shows up? I was super confused for a minute. I was like, oh, okay, he's in the movie now. That's cool, I guess. And it was just very abrupt. And I was wondering that, too. I don't... I just didn't like it. I think going back to his monologue for a minute, I like that, uh... Like monologue is supposed to be kind of like a catharsis for his character, especially leading into the hallucination of um, mm-hmm. Armin Norman. He kind of confronts past and the fact that he accidentally killed Norman and hasn't told any of the other bloods. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were doing full spoilers. No one said spoiler alert. We talked about the Yeah, you have to go back there and edit that. But I'm gonna say we were talking about the movie without spoilers for a pretty long time, so I was gonna say we should yeah, enter spoiler territory. Uh, the movie's been out for a week. You should have seen it now <laughs> if you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. What else are you watching if you're watching movies? Like, what else is um, there? Go no, watch no, this. Like, you I'm were not... saying so. Spoiler alert. Ben, carry on. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um. I, it's, it's, yeah, repeat that. I feel like that monologue is just him. I edited it out, repeat it. Or... That's fine. 
That's fine. Uh, no, just continue on, and yeah, we'll, we'll figure it. Out. No one's listening to someone's first podcast about this movie unless they've seen this movie. So, for in future, we'll do we'll do spoiler alerts. Um, but yeah, I feel uh, like the monologue. He has that line about uh, oh, God spoke to him. Said, you know, like forget about all those other motherfuckers. He even is portraying himself. Like, what do you mean, God? Like, I can't not care about other people. And he's like, No, God said, don't care about other people like just care about yourself he's just making excuses up for himself to be a shitty person yeah and like the whole time he's like saying like we gotta do what norman wanted it's like you fucking know norman wouldn't want you to do any of that stuff like (laughs) everything norman stands for in this movie my question about (laughs) that um so storm and norman one of the characters was one of their uh old platoon members is that the right term not sure anyways he they're trying to find his body along with the gold that is part of the plot and he is played storm norman is played by chadwick boseman i want to ask what were your guys' thoughts on how much chadwick boseman was in this movie and how he was portrayed because personally in my opinion um i think with the minimal amount that he was shown was good i thought that was a good choice um mostly because it showed him in the perspective of his friends and people he fought in the war with that they saw him as this amazing person who had amazing views on everything and held them all together and i really enjoyed that they really cut down on chadwick boseman's screen time to only portray a little bit just so you could get the perspective of the other characters on Storm and Norman. But what did you guys think on that? I I was wondering how many people came into this movie thinking like, hell yeah, like we're gonna get a Black Panther, uh, Black Panthers in this movie, you know, Black Panther playing Black Panther. It I feel like it is. It and could then... be forgettable because it not like it was yesterday. I was talking to one of my friends recommending this movie. And they asked me who was in it. I listed off Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, um, and I listed off half the character, like, half the actors, <laughs> and I forgot Chadwick Boseman was in it for a part. And I remember coming back to the conversation ten minutes later, saying, "Oh, by the way, Chadwick Boseman's in Defy Bloods." Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like he's in it, but I wouldn't try to sell somebody on the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Boseman sure. is for in sure. it. <laughs> um. I, I get him being used minimally, especially because the more you learn of him, the more you know. The more you see of anyone, you the more you'll notice their flaws. And he's supposed to be kind of like this godlike being, to you know. I perfect I idea. Wish we had happen. more flashbacks to them and Nam. Those are some of my favorite parts of the movie, and I wish it could have been like a situation where it's like one third is a storyline of them back in Nam, and then the rest of the movie is present day. I thought it would have helped the pacing of the movie a bit more. Even then, like Norman's like biggest scene, uh, besides his speech about what they're gonna do with the gold, is a hallucination. Yeah, it's like, really right at the ending. Like, it's really like probably like twenty, thirty minutes altogether, if that. No, um, not like even. Vietnam. No, yeah. a Vietnam footage altogether. I was gonna say. Probably less. Yeah, even. I, I would say like ten to fifteen. I, yeah. yeah, like. uh some scenes too, it would just cut for like a second, like literally like thirty seconds or whatever. 
and then come back to the present time. And it's like, oh, do we need to go like back the then? The scenes there? that Chadwick yeah. Boseman's character Norman are in, though, have a very significant place in the movie. Um, the one that stands out, aside from the two that Ben mentioned, was when they're like sitting around, and then it's the person from Vietnam, from Hanoi, coming over the uh, the radio. And it's like Black GI, Martin Luther King was shot. Or was it was it before? No. So I can't remember now. I've lost track. Anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know you're talking about that. That's a really powerful scene in that movie. I like the idea that she's the only like historical figure they recast this movie too. Or Hannah, the broadcaster, like she she played a very minimal role in the film. Uh, it was it was interesting just having cut back to because they could have just used archive footage for any of her recordings, so they're not like lost yeah. or anything. But it's interesting that she's the one historical figure they they actually cast. Um, what else, character wise? Because I do have some, I do enjoy the casting of characters, and I didn't so much enjoy the casting of other characters. I feel like. See, for I'm gonna, I was gonna say, for me with some of the characters, like we we mentioned this early on, so this is now we can get into this conversation with spoiler talk, is that there are some characters that are definitely more written for sure than other characters. Some of them are super underwritten, like Eddie, and oh my god, now let's talk about this. The scene with Eddie's death. I knew that was coming. Kind of turned. I think everybody saw that coming. It kind of turns into like a like a com. It's kind of like comical his death. He's like backing up. Tropic it's Thunder. like me of like a scary movie or something. Tro- yeah, exactly. Tropic Thunder or something like that. The where deaths I was like, oh, in this movie, God. like no way this yeah, is happening the, in this movie. The deaths in this movie, I no. felt like were very comical. Um, even the death of Paul's character, I've never seen somebody get shot that many times that it felt ridiculous and yeah. it was just like in Tropic <laughs> Thunder at the beginning with Ben Stiller's character being shot like hundreds of times I saw people saying like it's intentional like yeah. it's supposed to be goofy but I just didn't really get that I vibe understand. out of it I don't know yeah I understand I that that point is just so the issue I have say with Eddie's death is I knew it was coming as soon as they find the gold they're going around trying to find like they know there's landmines. They already planted that idea in your head from the bar scene prior. And now at this point, you're just waiting. And because of, I feel like, the silence and just him backing up and the way that the scene was shot, you just know he was going to blow up. It was just a matter of when he's going to blow up. And it's just so weird. For me, it's also like up until like the last 10 minutes, Eddie's kind of like just the probably the least interesting one doing the least amount of things and then like he's just once they find the gold and uh paul's just you know going against it he's just like eddie's the one to speak up and say like no we got to do what norman said i was like what the fuck now like he's the character that's gonna like come front and center and then it's like oh it's because he was gonna die i just want to say like it's we almost, it's like, almost like midway through writing the screenplay. They were like, oh, we want to kill this character off, but we haven't given him any moment at all. So let's give him his entire character arc in the next five minutes and before we kill him. It was more so like when he died, kind of... it wasn't like he blew up and they reacted. He blew up, 
laid there with no limbs and cried and wailed, which, I mean, obviously, but that just felt, that was the goofy part to me. Was him laying there with no limbs Yo, crying. No, Honestly, though, I think, I think that's like... Uh... I read on Reddit, someone made a comment saying, you know the one reporter that was in the, he was on the road and he blew up yeah. by a landmine? Did, did every car just pass by that every day and nobody ever noticed that? Like, it seemed like these landmines were only there when it was convenient to the story. And it was, like, pretty silly. Like, the landmine so, subplot. got to be, like, the worst way to go. A landmine? Hey, look, the, way, the way, specifically <laughs> the way that Eddie went, though, like, being able to, like, think properly for a second, look up and see that you, you're just a pile of mush, knowing you're dead, that you've seconds to live, and then seeing that pile of mush and being like, well, I'm done. Uh. Jesus Christ! This is red conversation. That, like that, that to me, like I, I think Mary, Mary was tuning in and out of the movie. Like she, she didn't really want to watch it all because she had to go to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. But, like she was up at that point and looked, and she was just like, "That's brutal." <laughs> I was I like, "Yeah." So there is a scene right after that where Paul's son, played by Jonathan Majors, steps on a landmine, and that scene, that Best scene, scene in the movie, is, and I can't like put it into words how high tense and incredible I thought that scene was and how emotional it was Oscar nominee Jonathan no, no, Majors no. for Stop. his role in this um, scene but Paul like because that really portrays Paul's character snapping in and snapping out of caring when it's convenient yeah but him, I him as well like because of yeah, he's yeah like because of Eddie's scene. death literally 10 seconds prior to that it really took away with the amount of emotional drive it would have had if that never happened (laughs) yeah it's like it becomes an afterthought like eddie's death they're just like oh well (laughs) what about uh david now he's he's gonna die now it's like oh i I almost wish they happened in reverse order where it was all the tension around um uh, David almost died. <laughs> and then it's relieved. There's a joke where it's like, oh, like, and then Eddie takes a step back and blows up right away. No. <laughs> this movie has just been... Because uh, in, in tied into that scene, we get in, reintroduced back to the people from France that are finding the landmines, and this movie is now just a movie of coincidences. Because of 30 seconds yeah, before, that was, like that was two minutes problem. before that, they find One of my biggest the gold because Jonathan Major's character needs to go to the bathroom and starts digging a hole and hits gold. Okay. So we're going to retread conversation that we had a, a couple of days ago. I don't mind that coincidence as much because to me it's like, well, they were going to find the gold anyways. That's just a stupid way of them to find the gold. But whatever, it happens. The coincidence that, yeah, that bothered me was the lamb girl. That she's only really introduced for John the Majors to kind of like maybe make a love interest in the beginning. And then she mentions that she like works as a landmine like diffusal. Like she works in that company yeah, yeah. business. I don't know what you're doing. And um, then she just happens to appear right when David steps on a landmine. And I was like, oh, okay. You argued that like while well, she was in landmine infested territory. And I was just like, ah, oh, if anywhere she could have been, for her to be right there, that's the coincidence that I thought was, like, a little bit too much for me. It's slight defense, I will add, 
it was a full couple of minutes after Eddie after got off, the first one went off. At least, yeah. you know, that would be their indication of, oh, shit, that's a landmine that just went off. Let's go there. But, like, to be within that range is definitely a huge coincidence. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was sort of a movie of coincidence. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. I feel like the characters, the, the white characters that were fighting the landmines could have maybe not been included in this movie as much. I have so I have like I have I a few opinions on this. So on one hand, yes, they plant the landmine thing. They help out with um saving Paul's son. What the only, one scene that really is their importance other than the two prior that I just mentioned was the scene where they're tying them up to a tree at night. And Paul's gone full, like, dictator mode running the show. And I feel like that scene is maybe the only importance that they may have because it shows Paul's character going to this complete crazy state, but from an outsider perspective. Because a lot of the time you see it from his perspective and him explaining, like, I fought for the war nobody gave me anything but now you're seeing it from somebody else's perspective you know what i mean with them being tied up and just being randomly pulled into this situation that they really had no intent of being in yeah like it yeah works but if you took them out yeah. then it could have shaved off like 15 10 15 minutes of the movie yeah for i also think it kind of like by the end it kind of dissolves mm-hmm. into like a shootout it kind of felt like, for me, it felt a little out of place with everything else that was going in the movie. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Just It just turns into, like, oh, we're left with the two characters that have had, like, the least amount of screen time now. And now they're the leads, and we're in a shootout with them. And we're supposed to, like, root for them. It's like, okay. Whatever. <laughs> we, haven't, uh, we haven't talked about Otis at all. I really liked his character. I feel like we obviously we're in character we're the end now too um for, uh, yeah, we should probably get to otis real quick otis was my favorite he was he was a little underdeveloped i thought but he seemed like a good guy <laughs> kind of torn like in the middle between norman and paul as uh, your favorite i don't know just like where he stands morally uh the issue with having so many people in this film and such a big cast is there being too many subplots in this movie and that was one subplot yeah like b plots like side stories all of this stuff and i felt like that was one of the issues with otis's character because it works but i really didn't get too invested in it and didn't really seem to care towards the end of it otis is the one that has kid right the daughter with the vietnamese woman yeah yeah he did actually yeah so i cared about that at the beginning but then towards the end it kind of forget about it kind of forget about it and it's the same with eddie's character like he at the beginning of the movie he flaunts he has money he's like we'll pay for the rooms then his whole personality towards before his death is never mind i'm broke and yeah, it was almost like too packed for its own good. It had too much going on. 
with and I feel like just because of how strong of a character that Paul had, it really pulled all your focus into that character because it's more directed in your face with his issues from his PTSD and issues with his son and it's like right in your face compared to Otis's character who's talking about his like wife I guess his old lover from the Vietnam War that you only see on screen for maybe a collective 10 minutes Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I. That's why, like, that's one main issue. It's just too many stories going on at once that I didn't care for, and I'm happy that they didn't really uh, flesh out a love story between Jonathan Major's character and that one French girl, because now that would have just been uninteresting to me. Because they started it, but they didn't really go anywhere with that. For me, I think it just kind of, like you said earlier on, uh, I think all the commentary, I think it's all like very spot on, mm-hmm. very relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah. And it, this movie kind of come at a better time, like we've all said. Yep. Uh, a lot of the times I thought it was shot like pretty great, but I don't know. I had this problem with Black Klansman as well, where in the second half of it, or like really near like the, the ending, it started feeling like it became more of like a TV movie rather than like a okay. full full Hollywood picture or something like that. I don't know. I think it was, like, with uh, Black Klansman's, if anyone hasn't seen that movie, there's a whole bu- a, a bomb plot in the ending of that movie. And this one, the shootout, just kind of felt like, I felt like I was watching a Netflix movie. You guys ever get that feeling? Or something just yeah. looks like that kind of level? Where it's like, eh, it's better than, like, TV. Not as good as a movie. It just doesn't look, like, up to standard, kind of. But that's also just, also, I wasn't completely into it with what was going on in the plot at that point. But yeah, just at certain points, I thought it just reminded me more of a cheap movie rather than something something great. Mm-hmm. But I did really like it. I thought it was really good. And uh, I'll probably come around to watching it again eventually, and hopefully it'll, it'll boost it up again. I feel like once the Oscar nominees are released, if it gets a lot of love, I'll probably give it a second watch. Yeah, all right. I'm thinking that too. I, think I, I do will. think, I think Delroy and uh, Jonathan Majors should both get nominated for their roles. I'm on the fifty. Both because I want to see that. Jonathan Majors get something. <laughs> so you want fifty percent of that? I. As... I mean, for best supporting actor, who who else do we got going right now? I'm. I've heard I'm a lot of people to... saying uh, Otis for best supporting over Jonathan Majors. Okay, I'd be happy with that too. Uh, right now. The running is everyone in this movie for every. I don't know. My issue, I'll I'll, so I'll say this, and then we will swing over to some closing thoughts on this movie. Um, with Jonathan Majors, I felt like a lot of his character was, Dad, are you okay? Dad, do you want me to carry the gold? Dad, and then sulking, and that's what I felt like his character was. His character was kind of there to support Paul's. Yeah. Heightened his character. I don't think he stood on his own too well. No, I wasn't. Because whenever he did get his own kind of spotlight, I kind of didn't like him. Like when he was flirting (laughs) with the Hetty or whatever her name is. Yeah, Hetty. I like. I thought. Oh, you're you're such a such a loser. (laughs) Are you (laughs) saying? 
I like that's the character though. I thought he was like a really good actor. I think he's pretty great. So yeah, I know you yeah, guys. Yeah, the performances he gave in Less Man in San Francisco. Yeah, that's fair. But you know, if he wasn't great. nominated for that, I don't want him to get nominated for this. <laughs> I I will say one thing is Lawyer. there is a couple people who are in this movie that were in Black Klansmen. Um, what are their names? Jasper Pekonen, and oh, it was the other guy that worked on the landmine thing. Um, Paul Walter Hauser. And for some reason, because they were, I love them in Black Lands. Well, Paul Walter Hauser just played the big idiot, basically. But Jasper Conan was very, very solid in that movie. But I was just waiting this entire time when their characters got introduced for him just to say something super racy. I just, I don't know why, but I saw him and I was like, He's going to be the worst of them all. <laughs> but it never happened. Because <laughs> of that movie. Yeah. But, um, anyways, closing thoughts. I can start and oh. then um, pass it over to Ben. But I thought it was great. Um, I'm going to give it like a solid 8 out of 10. It was a 7, but solid. an 8. A solid what? 8. Oh, an 8. An 8. Oh. I was a seven after the first watch, but after the second, it was definitely an eight. And uh, Delroy Lindo for a leading actor. That's what I'm going with from here on out. Anyways, Ben? Benjamin? Uh, uh, if I had to judge it right now after the first watch, I'd probably only give it a seven. Uh, thought it was really good, but yeah, as I said at the beginning, uh, a little too ambitious. Uh, I'd, I'd always take a film that comes from a place of passion rather than just some studio schlock where there's 20 different people putting their voices in. So you could tell this was one person's voice. And uh, I'm not like the biggest Spike Lee fan, but I, I am interested to go delve into his full filmography. So I've probably only seen like five of his films. Uh, but overall, this wasn't my favorite of his, but it was really good. And uh, yeah, Delroy, Delroy definitely gave the highlight performance. Yeah, I thought it was a little totally consistent. Story was kind of it was it was definitely better in parts. Some parts weren't as great as others. One thing I didn't get to mentioning was uh, they do this in Black Klansman. I think it's handled a lot better, where they'll show they'll talk about something and then they'll show an image of it and it'll stay up on screen and it'll be like Black History. I think all that stuff was handled a lot better in that movie, whereas in this one, it almost felt like it's just giving you a history lesson and some conversations. Where I felt like, oh, like some scenes could just be cut, yeah, entirely right now because they just feel like they're going on a little long. But if I had to, like I say, if I had to rate it though, I'm gonna be a little controversial here. I'm gonna get a six out of ten. It was fine. I liked it. I thought it was good. It wasn't like great to me. It wasn't bad by all means or anything. But just after watching Black Klansman, I felt like this was like a a big step down for me. A six out of ten and. Your favorite of the year so far. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great it's been a year. year. <laughs> been a slow Visible year. man's better than a six ten. What? Visible man's better than a six ten. Invisible man better than six ten. Invisible man was like at least you a give seven. Invisible and a half, man five point five. No, I gave it a six out of ten. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, we'll talk seven. about that another day, guys. Okay. Well, that I think I thought okay if. The first half of Invisible Man was... If the second half was as good as the first half, it would be like a 7. 
a seven. But it wasn't, so it's a, it's a six. Uh, <laughs> well, um, on that note, that wraps up our inaugural episode of Under the Great Lakes podcast with our review of The Five Bloods. Um, thanks for listening. And do you guys have any other last things to say before we wrap this up? Yeah, next week. Really? I guess uh, I'm excited to watch King of Staten Island, Island for next week. Yep. It's nice that we're kind of getting yeah. like, two big releases all at the same time. Um, I'm really sad that we're not going to see it at the drive-in because Universal assholes. But, uh... Gabe, you've played The Last of Us, right? Nope. Well, you're going to have to play The Last of Us and then catch up for The Last of Us too. Because Ben and I are probably going to talk about it for like 10 minutes. Do a little conversation about that. I know it's not a movie, but... May as well be. I'll consider it. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's going to happen. All right, guys. All right, that's it. Uh, Next week, King of Staten Island. And apparently I have to play The Last of Us in the next seven days. Yeah, it's like... I played it in three days, so. <laughs> you can honestly probably just speedrun it and you'll be fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Well, anyways, thanks for listening. And hopefully, I'll tune in next week for our next review. Yeah. Enjoy. Bye.